I do the uh, all the uh, you know desert heat and the oppressive humidity is uh, all the things around you that just want to sting you during the summer. I mean, you think you got like uh, we got mosquitoes; they're always uh, after you. You always got all the the horse flies, and uh, of course you got uh, got the bees. And I remember one time I was on a I was on a playground somewhere, and uh, I was just going along, and all of a sudden uh, I kicked this tire. And inside this tower is just this whole mess of bees. And, of course, they came out, and they just started one by one, uh, one stinging me. And uh, bees can be, uh, be pretty, uh, pretty uh, dangerous and, uh, and pretty, uh, pretty bad. As a matter of fact, they say down in Mexico they got some, uh, some killer bees and uh, they're pretty bad. And I try to keep that on the down low because if our president hears they're down there in Mexico, he'll find a way to get them over here. So uh, I kind of keep that on the down low. But today I want to talk about probably the worst type of bees there actually are. And the worst type of bees there actually are are the wannabes, right? Y'all know what a wannabe is. It's like somebody who thinks that they are something, but they're not really. They want to make you think that they are a good athlete, but they're really not. They make you want to think that they're talented at something, but they really are not. They want to think you, make you think that they're smart, but they're actually not. And when you actually put them to the test, you realize that they're more talk than what they actually are. And usually the difference between a wannabe and someone who actually has the talent and actually who has the good goods is the one who is able to make a commitment to be what it is that they want it, want it to be. And so this morning, we're going to be looking about some disciples, some want-to-be disciples, disciples who had the opportunity to follow Jesus, but they didn't want to. Why? Because they lacked the commitment. And so as we read these verses this morning, I want us to search our heart and ask ourselves, is what's keeping us from being the disciples and following Jesus the way that we need to be is our lack of commitment. So let's read together in the book of Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse number 57 where we read this. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go say farewell to those in my house. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, that not only you came to save us, but Lord, you desire to call us to be your disciples. For us to follow you and for us to be a part of your kingdom work here upon this earth. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we think about these verses for just a few moments this morning, we'll search our hearts and ask ourselves, Lord, are we truly committed to following you, or are we just making excuses? In Jesus' name I pray, 
Amen. A couple of months ago, it's probably been, uh, we talked about what it meant to follow Jesus. And we talked about how some, when some people think about follow, they think maybe just keeping up with what they're doing. Maybe like we follow a, a sports team or we follow a celebrity. We just keep up with what they're doing. Or maybe in uh, today's vernacular, when we follow someone, it means that we just keep up with them on, um, on social media. And, but that's not what Jesus has for us when he says for us to follow him. And really, you think for the disciples, what it really meant for them to follow Jesus was for them to really get up and follow Jesus and to go where he go, went and to see the things that he saw and did and to uh, hear the teachings that he made. And so it was a call for them to literally follow Jesus and learn to become just like you. Because isn't that how we learn how to become something? Isn't that our basic level of education that we look at someone and what they're doing and we try to follow them? We try to imitate what it is that they're doing and that's how we learn to do something. And that's what Jesus had called his disciples to do. He says, I want you to follow me. And we think about that in our heart and our life, is that what, what Jesus wants us to do. He doesn't want us just to keep up with all the things that Jesus had, has done. He doesn't want us to just keep up with the information, but he wants us to read the scriptures and understand what Jesus did here upon this earth, and he wants us to imitate it. He wants us to take on that example and to become just like it. And another thing that we learned when we talked about following is that the group of disciples weren't just limited to the 12 apostles. But yet anyone who would follow Jesus, anyone who would come after him, were to be counted as a disciple. And we see that as he was just going down the road, he was having people calling and saying that he, they would follow him. And then he would just come up to people and he would ask this person and he would ask that person to follow me. And I want us to think about in our heart, how would we answer the question if Jesus came and asked us to follow him? Would we immediately get up and move? Or would we start making excuses? And so we see Jesus just casually going down the road. And as he's going down the road, we see this first person. This first person, this first wannabe disciple, comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, what, type, what, a, what a great sense of uh, enthusiasm that this disciple had that he would just come up to Jesus, that he was so impressed by what he saw, that he was coming up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And you think about our hearts and our lives, how many times when we've been in seasons of revival or when we've been in seasons of renewal or maybe just on a typical Sunday where Jesus would sort of speak to us, he would impress on our heart and we would feel just that sense of rush and enthusiasm that we'd want to follow Jesus and say, and we'd make some type of commitment to say that, Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I will do this. Jesus, I will give up that. But how many times do we follow through? Or how many times do we wind up 
like this particular young man. Now, we always talked about the book of Luke that Jesus is able to interact with people. He's able to say things and respond respond in ways to people that we are not because Jesus knows what's in our heart. Jesus knows what's on our mind. Jesus knows what our honest level of commitment is. Jesus knows that whether uh, whether we are honestly seeking to follow him or we've just had a moment of just excitement, we've just had a moment of euphoria, and it'll just pass by us in a day or two. And so he's able to look at this man who just said, Jesus, you, uh, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he looks at him and said, look, foxes have dens. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus knew this man's heart. And Jesus knew that he had a moment to say that he would follow Jesus, but he did not have the commitment because he did not understand how hard and uncomfortable it would be. Because if you truly seek to follow follow Jesus, there's going to be some hard moments in your life. Because Jesus is going to point out areas in your life and habits that you have. And he's going to say to you, look, you need to change those things. And you're going to say, I can't change. I can't be different. I can't be new. I I can't put that out of my life. And so we, we will say that we just can't do that because it's just too hard. And so we lose our commitment to them. Or we think that we can just have a relationship with Jesus And everything else around us will be the same. Everything else, all our friends will be the same, and our lives will just be the same. I'll just be the same old Tim, except I will be a Christian. But we know that that's not true. We know that when Jesus comes in our life, he's like your wife. He's like your wife when she comes into the house and say, look, I'm changing all this. None of this is good. You know, and all these decorations are bad. It's all got to go. It's all got to be changed. And that's the way Jesus is in our life is because when we ask him in our heart to come make himself at home, he comes in and he starts looking in his heart. He goes, no, that's got to go. No, that's got to be different. You see, Jesus has a bad habit of meddling, doesn't he? He has a bad habit of looking at our heart. He has a bad habit of looking at our actions and saying, you know what? You got to change this. You know what? You got to do this better. And it gets hard in our life. And the more and more that we try to become more and more like Christ, and the more different we get, the more people to get noticing. And the more we're like Christ, the less we're like the world. And the less that we're like the world, the world starts getting a little nervous. Because the world doesn't like people that it can't own. The world doesn't like people that aren't like the world. And so the world starts pushing back. The world starts to say, look, you're going to be just like the rest of us. And it tries to conform you back into the image of the world. And so as a Christian, you constantly live 
in a constant state of friction, not only in your heart, but also in your surroundings here in this world. And he said, look, I know you say you want to follow Jesus, but I want you to understand that if you come and follow me, then you will forever, for the rest of your life, be an outsider here upon this earth. And Jesus wasn't confident that this person was ready for that. He looked at his heart just like he did with a rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came up to Jesus with a great sense of enthusiasm that said, Jesus, you know, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, you know, says, well, you know, uh, you know the laws, you know, don't commit adultery, don't kill nobody, you know, uh, just, you know, do those things. And he goes, man, uh, he gets me even more excited, man, all, all those things that I've done all my life. And then Jesus looks in his heart. Jesus looks in his heart. And you know, there's one thing that this person's not going to give up. And that's his money. And he says, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you sell everything you own and give the money to the poor? And he went away. Because that rich, young ruler was willing to commit to Jesus, but not that much. Isn't that the way that we are? We want to follow Jesus, but there are just some things we just want to hold on to. Then he goes down a little further, and he meets another, another man, another potential wannabe disciple candidate. And he looks at him, and he says uh, to this, he says this to him, he says, follow me. What excitement that may have been, you know, that Jesus just looked at it and said, look, Follow me. But the man looked at him and listened to what he said. He said, but Lord, but he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Let me first go bury my father. Now we understand that uh, what the response to Jesus in this situation is supposed to be. You, we know like when Jesus came uh, on, the sea of, uh, on the Sea of Galilee and there was Peter, James, and John, he would go up to him and he'd say, look, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? They would immediately drop their nets and they followed Jesus. And so when Jesus asks you or says, come follow me, we know what the response should be is that we should drop whatever it is that we're doing and just follow, and trust Jesus to take care of the rest. But what do we get from this young man? We get excuses. He pretty much says, Jesus, I will follow you, but first, but first, let me go bury my father. That seems pretty much a reasonable request. And Jesus' response to his request seems a little harsh, but let's remember that Jesus knew this man's heart, and let's understand that also what he is saying here is a little bit different than what we might think. When he says, I want you go bury my father, let me first go bury my father. Now, if his father indeed had already died, it's important to understand that back in that culture, that burying a father could take as long as a year. The whole process could take a bunch of the year from the funerals to finally burying of the bones. It could take also, uh, almost a year. And that's different 
than what we do now. I mean, if, uh, if you were to die right now, we'd probably have you in the ground and back in the back eating potato salad by dark. And that's just kind of the way we do it here. But back then, it was a little bit different, you know. And, uh, and so there was a lot of time involved here. But we could also think that he does not imply that the father is actually dead. And so what he may be saying here by saying, let me bury my father first, is like, let me go home and let me take care of what I got going on at the house now. Because my father, you know, he owns the property. And I work for my father. And we got the family business going. Maybe we own some land and we got some cattle. Maybe we got a fishing business going. Maybe we got a blacksmith business going. Whatever business we got going, I'm a part of it. And the father's ahead of it. And if I just take off and leave, that's not going to sit well at home. And if you're not familiar that when the father dies, he leaves the wheel. And there's a correlation between making the father unhappy and you getting less and less in that wheel. And so maybe that was implying, said, Jesus, I will follow you, but I got this going on right now that I can't get away from you. But you know what? When all that, that, that season has passed, then I'll follow you and do whatever you want me to do. And maybe that's the way that we are. We say, Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I will do whatever you ask of me. But let me just finish this, what I got going on. Wait till all the children get out of the house. Wait till I get out of school. Wait till I get married. Whatever season you say you're doing, what you're ultimately doing is what Jesus knew this man was doing, making excuses. I mean, when we see the Lord pressing on us something that he wants us to do, we'll say, you know what? It's just not the right time. It's just not the right time. Maybe after holidays, you know, maybe when I get caught up on my finances, it's just not the right time. But what Jesus requires of us is that when we, when he says for us to come follow him, he demands our immediate, unconditional response of dropping whatever it is that we're doing and following. How many of us is willing to do that? To say, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what it costs me. Or how many of us would say, you know what? It's just not the right time. And just keeping making the Lord and giving him excuses. So we go down further, further on down the road, and we meet another, another young man. Or, or notice what Jesus responds to him. Let, let's talk about that. He says, he says, let the dead bury the dead. Uh, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury the dead. Now here he's kind of using a double meaning. He's talking about the dead burying the dead. He's not necessarily talking about those who are physically dead, but rather he is emphasizing the spiritually dead. He said, let the dead people of the dead world take care of their dead affairs, but as for you, go and preach the kingdom of God. 
And all throughout the Scripture, we read and we talk about how we are not of this world and how we are of, the, uh, of a different kingdom and how, as the analogies would be given, how a, uh, a soldier is not to be tangled up into uh, civilian affairs. He would tell us that as we become followers of Christ, our emphasis deters or goes away from the kingdom of this world and its dead works and its dead achievements, and our focus in life switches to the kingdom of God. And so we're less concerned about the dead acts of the dead people in the dead world, but rather we're doing the work of the kingdom. He says, look, I know you got the, the father's got the business back at the house, but you know what? Regardless of how big that business gets, Regardless of how much land he gets, you know what? That's just the dead things of the dead world, and one day all that's going to be gone. But you need to keep your eyes on working in the kingdom because your work in the kingdom will build up investment and build up treasure that will last forever. He was making excuses because he still wanted to be involved in the ways and the works of the world. But Jesus says, look, I'm calling you to proclaim and to be a part of the kingdom of God. He wasn't willing to commit because his priorities were out of order. Then we meet another man. Verse number 61, it says, but yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say, well, say farewell to those at my home. How much, how many times do we make a statement like this? I will follow you, Lord, but, but. God, I will give you all of my life, but. God, I will give you all of my heart, but. And then we store up and we leave some of ourselves. But we must understand that when the Lord calls us, He wants all of us. He wants every last bit of us. With no restrictions, with no qualifications. Just a complete surrender and submission to the Lord God. But here he comes. Lord, I will follow you, but, and notice what his request was. Let me first go say farewell to my home. You know, let me go back to the home one more time. You know, let me eat one more Thanksgiving dinner. You know, let me go to one more high school football game. Let me just enjoy the way of the world in the former life one more time. And I just think about how many of us in our life tell Jesus the same thing. Lord, I will follow you. Lord, I will quit this. Or Lord, I will quit that. But let me just have it one more time. Let me just have one more fling. Let me just experience the joy of that 
earthly thing one more time, and then I'll follow you. But people who make that statement never follow God, and they never make a full commitment to Jesus because their commitments in their hearts are not set on the things of the Lord, but rather are set on the things of the earth. They're set on that sin. They're set on that thing that they just can't let go. And they say, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me just have one more round with this flame. But listen how Jesus answers him. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to be in the kingdom of God. You know, this reminds us of a lot of stories, a few stories, as we think through the Scripture. Remember first in Genesis, we, we go back to Sodom and go up more, and we think about Lot and his wife. They said, look, all this is perishing. This is about to be burnt down. You need to get out. And so Lot and his wife and the family, buddy, they're taken out, and they're trying to run. And what does Lot's wife do? Let me just get one look. Let me just get one look back at that city. You see, because she did not see the destruction of that city as a good thing, as the judgment of God, as God putting it in to the city, to that sin, but she saw it as an end to a city that she loved to dwell in. She couldn't let go. She couldn't let go of the world. And she looked back, and the Lord turned her, into a pillar of salt because her heart was not on God, but her heart was on sin. Elijah said about pretty much the same thing to Elijah when Elijah was told that he was about to be taken up to heaven. Elijah was chosen to be his replacement. And Elijah had come up to Elijah and said, hey, look, I want you to be my replacement. I want you to come and follow me. And Elijah pretty much said what these disciples that we have said, look, I, you know, let me go first. Let me go back to the house and take care of some things there at home. And then Elijah turned around and said, look, then you're not worthy to be a part of this. And so I might as well find somebody else. Because as people, we either got our eyes focused. We either got our minds focused. We either got our hearts focused on Christ Oh, we got them focused on the world. And Jesus says to them, look, no man who puts his you know, uh, hand to the plow looks back. When you become a follower of Jesus, what lies behind you is no longer valid. But Jesus had said for us to look forward. What did the apostle Paul tell us? He said, look, I had a lot of great things and I was up in my religion, buddy. I was the top. I was a Pharisee. I was, I was a, a zealous. I was holy. I was righteous. I had the credentials. I had the position. I had the standing. I was doing great things. And you know what? I put all that behind me, that whole past life behind me, and count it as rubble. I put it behind me, and I gaze ahead 
to the greater glory that was in Christ Jesus. You see, whatever we think the goodness of this world will give us, what lies for us in the kingdom of God and following Jesus is so much better. But we just can't really embrace it in our hearts. We can't really commit to it. We'll do it for a day or two. We'll do it for a week or two. We'll do it for a season or two. But somehow our hearts and our minds are always drawn back to that former life, that former worthless life that we used to live. That dogged, keeping up with the Jones, rat race life we used to live. When we stopped being double-minded, when we would stop being double-hearted and make a full, complete commitment to follow Jesus. You know, it's something that as these stories or these encounters are presented to us, we never hear the responses of these would-be disciples. And I think it's in a way that he wants us to look at this in our heart. Because in what's described in these three would-be disciples, describe us in our struggle to make a full, complete commitment to follow Jesus. And so as it, we would read this, Luke would ask us and Jesus would ask us, what is our response to Jesus? What is our response to Jesus and his request for us to come follow him? Are we making excuses? Are we stalling? Are we wanting to go back to the old life? Or are we making a full commitment to wholeheartedly, with all our soul and our mind and our strength, to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you called us to be your disciples. Lord, that you cleansed us from the unrighteousness of our sin, Lord, and made us pure. But Lord, you saved us for a purpose, that we would become new creatures and that we would be a part of your kingdom work. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we'll stop making excuses. We'll stop desiring to go back to those old ways of life. And, Lord, that we'll follow you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Amen. Amen. Amen.